Your influence is determined by the strength of your relationships. And this is something that I think when we're working at exec level, we often miss. We are so into the doing and, you know, the leading and the assigning that sometimes we think, I don't have time for relationships, but you don't have time to not build your profile and relationships because there's some great research out of Harvard Business School that found the more people know and like you, the more time they give you. Welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. If you're an accomplished professional ready to attract ideal opportunities, level up your career growth and create a powerful presence in your industry, you're in the right space. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and I'm passionate about helping executives and business professionals become visible in their space, establish themselves as a leading authority and create their dream opportunities. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Macris. It's great to have you here today. I'd like to let you know before we get into the episode that I have just launched a brand new Facebook group. It's called Accelerate Your Career. It's got loads of learning modules in there, an opportunity to connect with other executives who are passionate about their career. And it's a really great opportunity to sort of get questions answered and get to know a little bit more about what we do here. So if you're interested, the link is in the show notes and I'd love to have you in the group. So let's get into the episode today. Today I have with me Leah Mether. Leah is a communication specialist obsessed with making the people part of leadership and work life easier through the development of soft skills. Known for her practical, straight-shooting style, Leah works with leaders and teams across Australia. She teaches them how to communicate under pressure, manage conflict, build relationships of influence, and lead courageously through change. Her work is based on the belief that soft skills get hard results, and no one's a perfect communicator. Everyone can improve. Her first book was Soft is the New Hard, How to Communicate Effectively Under Pressure, and that was published in 2019 and was a finalist in the Australian Career Book of the Year Awards in 2020. Her second book, Steer Through the Storm, How to Communicate and Lead Courageously Through Change, was just published July 2023. So love this topic. Communication is something I'm incredibly passionate about. It is such an important business and life skill. So let's dive into it. Welcome, Leah. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah, and thanks to everyone who's listening in. Let's start because I know that you used to be a journalist, which is often where people start, either there or PR, end up in the communication space. But let's start in the newsroom because I think that I had a boss when I first started out in PR who was ex-newsroom. And the lessons I learnt from him were, you know, really powerful in my career and they had stayed with me. So what was the newsroom experience like for you? Oh, I loved being a journalist and you are spot on. The lessons you learn in a newsroom are just, they still hold me in great stead today. The importance of building relationships would be front and centre because in a newsroom and as a journalist, to get a good story, it's all about building a relationship really quickly so that people feel like they can trust you so that they open up and share their story with you. So that really flows through to the work that I do today with leaders and building trust and rapport to build influence. I, I would often have people say to me, gee, 
I shared with you more than I expected to because I just felt so comfortable. And rest assured, listeners, I am one of the good guys. I wouldn't take advantage of that, but people would open up. The other thing I learned in the newsroom was the importance of nailing a message and keeping it simple and plain speak. I think, again, great lesson in the corporate world and at executive level in leadership. So often we overcomplicate a message and use big words and, you know, people end up getting confused in our corporate jargon. In a newsroom as a journo, it's all about keep it simple, keep it direct, keep it plain speak so that the broadest audience possible has an understanding of the message. And again, great lessons. And then, of course, the third one, just to finish off, how to stick to a deadline. (laughs) Always a good one too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, One of the ones I was thrilled into me was, you know, the importance of punctuation and never forgetting a comma and proofreading. And, you know, that was a pretty powerful, powerful one there too. But I think also when when you're at school, it's a totally different way of writing and communicating, isn't it, to what you're taught at school around having a big vocab and all of that. Totally opposite to academic writing. And interestingly, there is a shift in corporate writing these days towards more of a news style, even in report writing. And, you know, we could go down a whole rabbit warren here, but just a, a quick example for listeners is, you know, the old school way of writing a report was using the passive voice. It sounded very formal and it's all about sounding impressive. Whereas now, the report writing advice is no active voice, keep it punchy, keep it direct. People want you to get to the point quickly. So actually we're seeing in corporate writing a real shift to some of those elements of news writing. Which is so important. So tell us about your book, The Soft is the New Hard, because that's got some really powerful communication advice in there. But let's start with what you find people's biggest challenges are around communicating. Big question. Biggest challenge when it comes to communicating, and it actually does link to my first book, Soft is the New Hard, How to Communicate Effectively Under Pressure. Back when I first started doing what I do and teaching effective communication or assertiveness skills, many years ago when I first started it, I made the mistake a lot of communication trainers make, and I just focused on the tips and tricks, as if just knowing the tips and tricks of how to communicate means that you'll do them. But I think we all know that knowing and doing are two different things. And if I had to say what's the biggest challenge or biggest mistakes I see in communication is that we don't realize that our communication and how effective it is actually depends on how well we are managing ourselves. So actually, and it's the focus of the book as well, communication's the last step in the communication process. Most of the people listening to this podcast, most leaders and execs out there, you know the basics of how to communicate. But what holds you back from doing it well is perhaps a lack of self-awareness for your own style and how that's perceived by others. Maybe you don't have a great ability at regulating your emotions under pressure, so you fly off the handle. Maybe you've got a closed mindset where you always think you're right and other people are wrong, so you're not getting curious, and perhaps you don't take personal responsibility for your own communication and behaviour. You deny, blame, and justify and think other people made you react that way. All of those things, all of those foundations, they actually help or hinder your communication success. So, 
I actually, when I work with people and the whole ethos of that first book is around getting those foundations right first because if you're self-managing and doing the thinking first before a conversation, really considering who you're dealing with and what uh, speaks to them, then the communication bit is actually quite simple but it's all that pre-work that you've got to do first. That's really interesting. I mean, especially if you don't have self-awareness, I'm sure all of us could be better at self-awareness as well. That's something I talk about all the time. I don't care whether someone is a CEO or a new starter. No one nails communication all the time. I stuff it up all the time and I teach it for a living. It's my business. I've written two books on the topic. I stuff it up all the time because I'm human and humans are emotion-driven beings. And I think we all have to come at communication, at leadership with the humility of going, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to always be open to learning and improving, but it's not something I can ever just do a tick box and tick off and say, I did communication training once, that's me done. You're spot on. We can all improve no matter how experienced, evolved, developed you think you are as a leader, everyone can keep learning and do better. Some of the challenges that executives face, particularly ones that I speak to regularly, they're normally quite well loved by their teams. And you do see this across 360, you know, the teams are normally very supportive. And so they feel quite comfortable communicating with their teams. But at times, there might be challenging personalities either above them or alongside them. And with all the greatest intentions, and I suppose this is where self-awareness comes into it as well, because if you're going in there feeling like it's going to be a battle or, you know, so I suppose there's that element, but is there any other sort of things that you think people need to consider when dealing and trying to build relationships with people that could be quite difficult? Yeah, absolutely, because everyone has different personalities, communication styles, backgrounds, stories, experiences that make us the unique people we are. And I think a mistake we make is we expect everyone else to just think like us, that it's common sense. Of course, you should react this way. And then we get surprised when someone responds differently or we can't connect with them. Few things here. First off, you've got to start with you. So even if the other person is difficult, start with you. And by that, I mean, get some awareness about your own communication style. Are you a really direct and aggressive or assertive person? And those two things are very different, just to make that clear. Assertive is what we're aiming for. Aggressive is something else entirely. But perhaps you're very direct and the person you're dealing with is a passive communicator who likes processing time. Just knowing what your own style is first is crucial. And then thinking and having an understanding about the style of the other person So do they like direct communication? Do they need that processing time? Are they feeling stressed and overwhelmed at the moment? Just putting yourself in their shoes a bit to get that understanding, not just in an empathetic way, but in a strategic way, right? If they need processing time, what can you do to help them out there? Can you give them an agenda before the meeting? Can you start a conversation with them and then say, let's park this for the day and reconvene tomorrow and talk this through? Will you get a better response if they get that processing time? The other thing you want to consider are the motivations and drivers of the other person. Now, this is where we get really smart and strategic in our communication, particularly if we're communicating up the chain or with someone who maybe is very standoffish to us. 
we often go into these conversations thinking, this is what I want to tell them. So I'm going to go in there and tell them. And then we wonder why it doesn't go well. What you want to do is consider what outcome do I want from this conversation? And then how do I tailor my communication to give myself the best chance of achieving it? So, for example, Sarah, I might want to come in and say that new way of doing things that you gave me, Sarah, it doesn't work. I tried it. It doesn't work. Now, if I just come in and you're my boss and I come in and say, oh, it just doesn't work. We shouldn't do it. Don't like it. I shouldn't be surprised when you react badly because if this is a new change, it's your baby, you know, you think I'm just being difficult. But if I sit back and I ask myself, what does Sarah care about? Why is she brought in this change? Oh, perhaps it was to improve efficiency across the organisation. That's really what you're getting ridden about at the moment. If I come into that conversation and I start off by saying something like, Sarah, I know that the big driver in the organisation at the moment is improving efficiency and that's the reason that you introduce that new process. I wanted to have a chat with you about that because I know that that's where we're going at the moment as an organisation and I gave it a shot and here's what I found. And when I start talking that way, what I'm doing is I'm showing you that I'm on your team. I get what you're trying to achieve and I'm on your team and I'm raising this issue not to be a pain in your butt. I'm actually raising it to try to help you achieve the outcome you're going for. So this is where when we've got that often conflict, if I get smart and strategic, I'm going to help you open your ears. And the last tip just quickly on this one, I mean, I could talk for days on it, but just quickly, a little mantra that I find invaluable when you're dealing with tricky personalities, and it has been my mantra particularly through COVID, has been get curious, not furious. Get curious, not furious, get curious, not furious. So if you're in a conversation with someone and they say something that you totally disagree with and everything in you just wants to bite back and say, well, that's just ridiculous. If you can take a deep breath and get curious, not furious, what you can do instead is ask a question. So I might say, Sarah, that's a really interesting perspective and it's really different to how I see things. Can you help me understand how you came to that position? And this does a few things. It gives me time to catch a breath and get out of reactive mode. It also means that I give you a chance to give me the context because I think we've all been guilty before of someone says something, we jump straight back at them and then they say, oh, well, the reason I did it that way is because I tried X, Y and Z and it didn't work. And then you're trying to backtrack going, oh, oh, sorry, I didn't realise that. So it gives them time to give you the context. And even if I still think your idea was ridiculous, if I then say something like, okay, so I appreciate that's your perspective, Sarah, but for these reasons, I think X, Y, Z, you're more likely to listen to me because I listen to you. So get curious, not furious is a great strategy as well. And I think that's very true when, when you're trying to build relationships with people, strategic relationships, understanding how they, I often talk to my clients about, you know, really understanding how they describe the problem you solve and yes. really kind of getting into that level of detail and, and thinking about it before you go in there. It is a real challenge, I think, when people have misaligned expectations. Oh, yes. You may never have even met this person before. You may not 
really know this person at all, but all of a sudden they're coming at you with a totally different expectation of what you are capable of doing in terms of maybe your gravitas in the organisation or there's some things that people sort of fall into like it's not my responsibility or I can't change that. And that can be a challenge too if you're having those sorts of conversations and then somebody becomes more aggressive or, you know. Before we get to in the conversation, I always encourage people at any point in a relationship you can do this and if you've been given a task or a new project, don't wait for things to go off course to do the expectation check and setting. Do it right up front. So even if it's your boss saying, hey, can you do this for me? Instead of just saying yes and walking away and doing your best guess at what they're after, in that very first moment saying, Yes, absolutely. To make sure we're on the same page, can I check in with you? What's the deadline? When you say you want a summary report, do you mean a 20-page document or five dot points in an email? Actually going back and forward on those expectations at the start often avoids a lot of the conflict later on. I find that, you know, even if it's you've got a massive workload and they say, you know, I need this done by this date, it might be saying to them, okay, for me to get that done for you by that date, that will mean I have to put all of those other tasks you've given me aside. Is that what you'd like me to do? Because sometimes the the boss has forgotten that they gave you all those other deadlines and when you say, okay, I can do this new one, but it means putting everything else aside, they go, oh, actually, no, (laughs) you keep focusing on that. We'll work something else out. So, Set expectations early where you can. New project, it might be getting everyone in the room and saying, okay, how do we make this work? Uh, What's the expected commitment? When we hold these meetings, is the expectation that you've done the reading beforehand? And actually having that out at the start. But you're right, sometimes you're in the middle of it. Someone comes in and says, I expect you to be able to do this, or they think you've got influence that you don't have you're put on the spot there, it is still where you can do that bit of a check. So if the person has given you a task and they want it done now and you're thinking, I just can't do it, it is going back to them and saying, so help me understand here what we need to deliver. And then if you can't do it for some reason, again, almost like that other conversation that we said, it's about how you go about having it. Because if I just say, I can't do it, are you just the difficult person? Whereas if I say something like, I want to be able to help you out here, but for me to be able to do that, it requires X, Y, Z. Are you able to assist me with that? Or it might be that they're writing you for a priority, but you've got something else on and they're not aware of that. So it might be saying, I appreciate that this is the number one priority for you right now. However, I've been given a directive from the board or whoever it is that I need to deliver this. Yeah, because I see that as probably one of the most common issues in corporate. Competing priorities within for execs, continuous sort of workload that just keeps being piled on. And I think this is for the work that I do. This is one of the challenges that people find is, well, you know, I've got all this work and yet. I don't have time to build my profile and, you know, sort of look after my own interests, which is to build a profile so that you've got a runway of opportunities should the worst happen and also so that I can have a professional future that I keep increasing my value and so forth. So thank you because that's something that comes up a lot. 
I'd love to just share a really quick story on this. An example that speaks to this in my first book, actually, it was a woman who worked part-time in quite a senior role. And that meant that she kept getting loaded up with the expectation of a full-time job, but she was only part-time. And she said exactly what you just raised to me. She said, I just keep getting overloaded with competing priorities. I feel like I'm drowning. My boss doesn't want to listen, just thinks I should have the capability. What should I do? So what I encouraged her to do was go away and make a list of all of the things that were on her plate and all of the priorities. And then I said to her, I want you to have a go at just putting numbers next to what you think the priority projects. And then she organized a meeting with her boss. Don't do it over email. This is one that's, uh, you know, face-to-face or over Zoom or whatever it might be. And I said to her, organize the conversation with the uh, CEO or whoever it was and say, you know, we're trying to achieve lots of great outcomes at the moment and I want to make sure that I'm delivering what you need. So again, smart here, you're speaking to their motivations and drivers. I want to make sure that I'm meeting your needs and delivering our core priorities at the moment. Obviously, I am part-time, so that creates a challenge as well. So what I've done is put together the list of the things that are on my plate, and I'd love to go through it to make sure my focus is on what you want my focus to be at the moment. And this does a couple of things. One, the CEO might look at the list and go, crap, that's not achievable. When I see it in black and white in front of me, actually, that's not achievable. And they might actually do it for you. They might go, no, 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 hang on. That can all wait. This is what we need to get delivered right now. Great. You can then go away and do that. Even if they think, no, that big long list is what's on your plate. Sarah, you know, bad luck. That is all yours. You're still getting them engaged in the priorities. So, okay, if they've said those are the top five priorities and the others aren't, great. You can then go away and follow it up with an email saying, great to chat to you, to confirm these are the priorities at the moment. And then that gives you some ability. I get that it is still really hard for a lot of execs out there because they are getting overloaded, but that gives you some capacity to be able to push back when people are hounding you for other tasks where you can say, yep, I get that you would like this done now. However, I've got a clear directive that this has to be my focus at the moment. And it just allows you to start pushing back a bit more effectively. That's great. So how do you manage time to build your profile with all the work that you have on? Yeah, good question. So Here's the thing, because, and you're right, I do hear this from leaders I work with all the time as well, whether it's building profile or making time to meet with their staff one-on-one, because that's something I'm really passionate about. And they say, I don't have time. I would suggest you don't have time to not do it (laughs) because here's the thing. It's not just about building profile so that you're visible. Your influence is determined by the strength of your relationships. And this is something that I think when we're working at exec level, we often miss. We are so into the doing and, you know, the leading and the assigning that sometimes we think, I don't have time for relationships, but you don't have time to not build your profile and relationships because there's some great research out of Harvard Business School that found the more people know and like you, the more time they give you. Now, it's not about being everyone's best friend. That's not what we're saying here. 
but it's actually saying that, for example, if I need something from a person and I've never made the time to connect with or meet them, never built that relationship, and I come and ask them for something, they're not necessarily going to say yes because they're under their own pressures. Whereas if I take the time to be generous and connect, if I have the coffee room chats, the lunchroom chat, if you are in an office, those small talk conversations, they're actually really important. The walking down the corridor with your head up and saying good morning to people, you know, when people go, oh, that's just the fluffy stuff. It seems so simple, but it's powerful. It doesn't take time. It's simple and so easy, but this is actually really important because it builds your relationships, which then builds your influence. So then if you are getting up and delivering a presentation or you are trying to get help from another organisation or someone in a different industry, people are more likely to help you if you're out there being generous, building a profile, celebrating other people's successes, lifting other people up, uh, being that person, there's that old JFK quote, when the tide is high, all ships rise. It's really actually true. That spirit of generosity, it's not why you do it, but it pays you back in spades. It does. And I see that a lot when people face redundancy or, you know, a new CEO comes on board, the whole leadership team's pushed out. And, you know, there's that sort of thing, oh, well, I haven't spoken to these people in so long. So, you know, I think if you've built your profile so people still sort of know who you are and they feel like they know you because you're out talking, sharing your knowledge, being kind and generous, and then it's not so hard to reconnect with these people. But, yeah, if it's like this big river between the last time you spoke to them, it's much harder. And you're not ringing, hey, get me a job. (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to say. If the only time you reach out is when you need something, People are not going to respond well. And I think this is a big misconception with networking in general. People think it's about going out there and selling yourself for the take. Actually, it's all about generosity and relationship building. It's not just the nice thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. So in terms of building your profile and putting yourself out there, this is what the smartest leaders and executives do. And again, it's not about being manipulative. It's not about doing it, oh, I'm going to do this because I need something back. It's just that relationship building is how you build your influence. It's not hierarchy. If you're relying on the fact that you're an executive to get people to do things for you, you're in trouble. And actually, that's not leadership, that's management. Management relies on the hierarchy. Leadership relies on trust and respect. So, that's what we need to be focusing on. You do see that. You see that in organisations. I mean, you definitely see the people who rely on their title, but you also do see sometimes those people that might be a little bit more junior but seem to have so much influence and credibility. And you're right, if you scratch the surface, it's always because they have strong relationships and they... Oh, I've got another question for you. Okay, this one came up a few weeks ago. This person that I spoke to is in an organisation and... She's just started the job or started recently and she's finding the culture is not opening doors for relationship building. So sort of like, oh, you can't speak to that person because of this person and, oh, this is the hierarchy and, you know, don't dare speak. I mean, we've all been in organisations like that, I'm sure, where it's like that's you're not allowed to email that person because that's your boss's boss and, you know, so this person was sort of talking about a situation similar and 
What would you say in those situations? It is tricky. I have actually worked in an organisation like that early on in my career. And I think you do have to respect the hierarchy in organisations like that because if you come in and you can try to influence and change it and have success with that, but if you come in at a, like a bull at a gate and don't respect the hierarchy, you might find that you, you know, it is like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> You've broken a whole heap of stuff and you don't want to be doing that. But that's where, again, it sounds so simple and like it can't be the answer here. But that's where the incidental relationship building is crucial. Literally the walking down the corridor, smiling and saying hello to everyone, whether it is the office cleaner or the CEO that you just walk down with a friendly disposition and you're not reliant on anyone saying anything back to you. This is not about other people. This is just about you being the person you want to be. And you say hello to people that when you're in the lunchroom, it doesn't matter whether it's a senior leader or a junior person, that you're having a brief conversation as simple as small talk on how's your day going or what's the focus for you this week. So you can do it in ways that are not overstepping the mark. It can be at a meeting if you get there early just having conversations with people as they come and arrive rather than running in at the last minute when it started, you couldn't have the small talk conversation there. So I really do think there are ways of doing it. The only thing I would say there is you'll probably even cop some heat for doing that in those really tricky organisations because the people who have been there a long time will probably be thinking, why aren't I doing that? Yeah, or, oh, I've been here for ages and they have never noticed me. Exactly. You can build really powerful relationships that way. And when I do think back to early on in my career, I had a really similar situation to that where I was building great relationships with people many levels about me sucking up. It wasn't trying to be the teacher's pet in a workplace at all. It was my personality. I do, you know, chat to everyone. But it has to be genuine, right? What you don't want to do is just be doing that with your senior leaders and ignoring your cleaner and your junior people. But if it's something you do with everyone, it is a way of breaking down those hierarchical boundaries. Yes, and getting more access, which is often you mm. want. So tell me, you have a new book. I do. It's exciting. It's Steer Through the Storm. Do you want to share a little bit about it? It's just launched, is that right? Yeah, it has just launched. Um, I'm not sure when people are listening to this. It launched on the 13th of July, 2023. It's called Steer Through the Storm, How to Communicate and Lead Courageously Through Change. And, you know, we are in such a time of uncertainty and change at massive levels, at small levels, you know, industry transition, worldwide change, cost of living, lots of restructures going on in the world, but right through to little changes within organisations to new software or technology. And this isn't just a book on change management. There's so many of them out there. This is a book for leaders at any level who have change going on around them. So something that I've come across over the last few years is leaders at exec or middle management level who if the change is a government change maybe it's a regulation or it's COVID or it's you know being imposed on them 
it's almost like the leaders think that they don't have a role so they're not having to lead change here because it's not their change or they don't like the change and it's being enforced but well they're impacted sometimes they're impacted yeah that's right so this is a book saying actually if you've got change going on that affects your team whether it's your change or not if you are a people leader you have a responsibility to guide your people through that uncertainty and change so that they emerge in the best way possible it's not optional that is actually part of leadership and what I see most common is three approaches when change happens I see leaders who try to steamroll their way through and do the old school command and control style leadership where they just say which isn't leadership at all let's face it where they just say the change is happening bad luck like it or lump it don't have time for feelings and emotions in the workplace let's just roll it out get on with the job and that's it. And then they wonder why they get resistance and no one coming on board. And they often then come to me and say, oh, gee, I've had this blow up. How do I handle this? You also get leaders, though, that totally shirk their responsibility. They're the shirkers. They think, well, it's not my change. I don't like it anyway. So head in the sand, hands in the air, I've got no role here. They don't have the difficult conversations. They're surprised that things have blown up and they let poor behaviour really flourish. And then you see the steerers and that's where I'm trying to get leaders to with this book to say that, you know what, to help people through a change and to help yourself because you can't steer other people through a change unless you're steering yourself first. You actually have to get clear on how you want to navigate the change yourself and with your team You've got to get curious about how your people are feeling about it because once you have more information about how they feel, you can better lead them through. So you've got to show you care and connect with curiosity, but you do have to hold them accountable for their behaviour. Yes, change is really hard and challenging, but it's not a green light for people to be snarking at each other and behaving in a really poor way or not performing at all. I then talk about in the book the importance of coaching with compassion and leaders having those one-on-one conversations with their people to really help them get through the best way possible. And let's face it, in some cases, the outcome is that the person leaves the organisation and sometimes that's the best outcome. They're not up for the change, they're not on board and you can help them realise that and they make the choice to leave the organisation. And the last element that I talk about in the book is the importance of committing with consistency. Leading through change or communicating a change message is not something you just do once, or as one leader told me recently, but I sent an email two weeks ago telling him about it. You hear that a lot, actually. That's that's quite, yeah. You do. And it's not like that. You've got to keep banging the drum. You've got to keep explaining the change, why it's important, how it impacts people, how you want to get through it. You've got to use stories, facts, updates, all the different elements. But it's also here the importance of consistency as a leader between your mindset, actions and words. We've all heard that old cliche of actions speak louder than words and it's cliched because it's true. If as a leader you are telling your team that you expect them 
to keep showing up and behaving appropriately during the really difficult change period and treating each other with respect, but then you're running around like a headless chook snapping at everyone, that's not going to cut it. You've got to show up consistently. So it's great getting some great attention at a national and global scale at the moment, which is exciting. The Australian Career Book of the Year, it's a finalist for, but really what I hope it does is this is such a challenging time for so many executives and leaders. I wanted to write a really practical, plain speak book. It's got lots of scripts in it, lots of the questions to ask your people that hopefully navigates through because change is challenging, uncertainty is unnerving, but we can actually help our people to get through in a way that they come out in good shape and it can be the making, not breaking of you as a leader. Yes, I love that. It's such an important topic. I did a lot of restructures in a previous life, you know, in terms of like or um, transitioning old CEOs to new CEOs into companies and it would be a 90-day plan around communication. It wouldn't just be a, you know, one email. Because you're spot on. There's We need those big change programs and plans, but even that, right, Sometimes I think leaders in organisations go, oh, yeah, so the change team's handling that or the change consultant's handling it. So that's not a job for me. I don't have to do change. And that's what this book's about. It's going, yeah, even if you've got a whole department or team or consultants that are handling the actual management of the change, you as a people leader still have a role to play. Absolutely. Critical role. Well, that's fantastic. So congratulations on the book. It's very exciting. Where can people buy it? Yeah, so if you plug Steer Through the Storm into Google, you can pretty much buy it at any online platform. Uh, You can buy it direct from me. If you do buy it direct from me, you get a signed copy, so that's always good. You can just through my website, you can get that, which is just my name, leahmetha.com.au. But it is available as an ebook, audio book, or paperback. And I think that I know that actually that a lot of executives don't have time to sit down and read, but they're in the car quite a bit or traveling and they do tend to consume audio content. So it's me reading the book. And if you want to consume it that way, you can too. Fantastic. Now, where can everyone find you if they want to connect other than your website? Yeah, easiest way, just leahmetha.com.au is my website. You'll find me on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram as well, particularly on LinkedIn. Check me out there. I've also got a YouTube channel with years worth of a segment called Ask Leah. Every week people send me their questions and I do my best to answer it just in a short, sharp video. I get all the tricky people questions, difficult conversation questions, And I depersonalise it. I don't throw anyone under a bus. (laughs) This person from this organisation said, what do you do when your boss is a jerk? I don't do that to you folks. But, yeah, there's lots of free content out there. Check it out and hopefully it helps you navigate the people bit because that's the tricky part, right? It's not the uh, technical parts of our role. It's the peopling. It always is. Yep, you're right. Well, thanks so much and I will see you all next week. Thanks, Leah. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you've learned something from this episode that's going to help you make actionable changes in the way you approach your career. If you liked today's episode, make sure to rate, review and share this with a friend. And as always, see you next time.